from the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch. This is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Features Editor at the Dispatch, and today I'm joined by freelance reporter Margaret Kwame. Be careful out there, everyone. Things are getting a little scary, and that's not just because a new Godzilla movie is coming out this weekend, as well as the thriller Ma featuring Octavia Spencer. One of them is getting good reviews. I'll let you guess which one. Classic old-school horror flicks are back for more frights as well. Frankenstein with Boris Karloff is playing Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday at the Gateway Film Center. Follow that up with King Kong on Thursday through Saturday if you dare. For something a little different at an orchestra concert, try Distant Worlds, music from Final Fantasy, Friday at the Ohio Theater, put on by Distant Worlds Philharmonic Orchestra and Chorus. It's music from the popular video game franchise. Or, on a world much closer to home, get a sense of how scary things were back in the 18th century. That's the focus of the latest work by popular historian David McCullough, who won Pulitzer Prizes for Truman and John Adams. The Pioneers, his latest work, examines the lives of some of the men and women who moved from New England after the American Revolution into what was then the Northwest Territory and established the city of Marietta on the Ohio River. Ahead of an appearance at the Ohio State House on June 3rd, McCullough spoke with us about the book. Take it away, Margaret. So tell me how you got interested in writing about the Northwest Territory in general and Marietta in particular. Well, I was invited to be the commencement speaker in 2004 at uh, Ohio University and felt very complimented about it. Uh, it was their 200th anniversary, and I didn't really know much about the university, so I did some homework, and I found out that the oldest building on the campus was called Cutler Hall, and that led me to reading about Vanessa Cutler, who I quickly realized was one of the most remarkable Americans of the 18th, the remarkable American 18th century, and that led me eventually to Marietta, to the great collection at the Legacy Library there on Marietta College campus, and that was as thrilling a discovery of original letters and diaries as I had ever experienced, and I realized that this was an important story, important part of our history that was virtually unknown. I, I knew nothing about it, and I realized that there was abundant treasure trove of material from which that story could be told, largely in the voices of and from the point of view of the protagonists who were there taking part. That was one of the most thrilling and awakening experiences of my writing life. So basically, once you hit Marietta, you didn't look at other other places. You weren't thinking about other parts of the Northwest Territory. That that was it? That's right. I, I wanted to put a, a cast of characters on stage that you've never heard of, I'd never heard of, right. and make you realize what a human struggle they had gone through, what admirable purpose they had, and how they wouldn't give up in the face of adversities such as very few people have ever had to cope with. Right. And it made me realize that in many ways, we are all a bunch of softies compared to those people. <laughs> <laughs> so you, there were obviously a number of different individuals you could have focused on here. You chose four or five, you know, along with a bunch of other stories at the same time. But how yes. did you, you decide on these particular individuals? Well, the, the original hatcher of the whole project, the Reverend Manessa Cutler, is the one that I got very interested in because of my invitation to speak at the 
commencement at Ohio University. And then, of course, his son, Ephraim Cutler, follows to carry the banner his father bore uh, to the actual scene, and he becomes one of the most important figures in the whole story of that part of Ohio, all of Ohio. He's the one that keeps slavery out when the Jeffersonians want to make Ohio a slave state after the original pioneers had insisted there be no slaves, and the father, Manessim in particular, had been the champion of that. And, and he's the one that really put through public education and from grade school through college and the creation of the university at Athens. Then there was Joe Barker, who came out as a carpenter and who became not more than far more than a carpenter but a boat builder and and ultimately really the first architect of the whole of the Northwest Territory and a very gifted architect and then um, Samuel Hildreth who was a young doctor in many ways like Manessa Cutler was a classic American polymath in other words someone who is interested in a great many things and quite expert in a great many subjects he was both a physician and a naturalist particularly geologist he was a painter of immense talent and he was an historian he was the first historian of Ohio as a new venture and two different books that he wrote about it and each and all of these people wrote an immense amount and it wasn't just the quantity of what they wrote in diaries and letters and so forth and books but the quality of it the quality of their thinking the quality of their writing the quality of their admirable quality of their aspirations their purpose in particularly important for today's reality to be reminded that there were people who were not out to make money only, who were not out to become famous or to have a lot of expensive show-off possessions, but to achieve worthy purpose. And they did. They managed to do what they set out to achieve. And they did it for the community, for their family, for their church. And we are the beneficiaries. I think that it's important to remember that the lessons of history are innumerable. And Certainly two of them are empathy and gratitude. To put yourself in the, the other person's place. Put yourself in the place of those men and women who came out and braved that struggle. And to have gratitude for what they achieved from which we have benefited. Most of us walk around with no appreciation that all these wonderful advantages we have didn't just happen. Somebody had to make them happen and, and to be indifferent to them, to not care anything about them, is not just to be ignorant, but to be selfish. And we should be stopping and thanking our lucky stars every day that such people preceded us and passed on these wonderful advantages and blessings of, of American life. That's not to say that everything's perfect. Of course it is. It never was. And those people had no more idea about things were going to turn out than we do in our time. <laughs> I think a lot of people think, oh, they, uh, they lived in the past. They were walking around in the past. No, they weren't, any more than we are. <laughs> they were right. walking around in the present, their present. And their present was tough, was hard, and uncertain, and dangerous, and full of suffering, acute, and fairly unfortunately serious suffering. I have some regrets about the material that there is that survived. And one is there's very little, comparatively little, written by women. Uh -huh. And
And um, I wish that I'd had a great volume of letters from women, but it's hard to explain. I've talked at some length about it with Linda Showalter, the curator of the collection. And I think in part, women at that time were raised not to complain. And the letters are mostly all being written to people back home, back east. And they're writing to their parents, and they're not going to tell them about how tough it's going and Uh how hard they work. And, oh, my God, did they work. Men, women, and children. They had to work all day, every day, everybody in order to survive. They had to make their own clothing, grow their own food, heal their own wounds, tend their own sick family members. And there were no anesthetics then. There were no doctors or hospitals within easy reach. One of a few doctors. Some of them were very good, like Samuel Hildreth. And Samuel Hildreth's account of making what we might call house calls, riding 15, 20, 25 miles through the wilderness to arrive at a log cabin and find that the person you've come to try and help has died. Right. And then you have to ride all the way back. And his letters about the joy of the miracle of nature that he sees on these rides is enough to give you a lift of spirit, that in itself. Uh-huh. The people that you you write about, not just in this book, but generally, are, seem to be very admirable, um, heroic almost. When you're picking subjects or books, is it important for you to pick people you admire? Well, in a way, yes. And it has to be, it's like picking a, a roommate. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be with that person every day, and in many ways, night and day, because you're thinking about your the what you're writing more than you're actually writing. People say, how much of your time do you spend doing reading and how much of your time do you spend writing? They never say, how much time do you spend thinking? (laughs) (laughs) And that's probably the most important part of it. Right. I don't think I have to necessarily admire them. I have to find them interesting and I have to feel that what they did with their life is important and or admirable or stimulating. And I feel very strongly that history isn't just about politics in the military, as it's so often perceived or taught. It's about life. It's about human beings. It's about the human condition, the human aspirations. It's about art and music and literature and science, everything. And the discoveries and the ideas. History is shaped again and again by ideas and by luck, pure luck, good and bad. History is human. When in the course of human events, the operative word there is human. Right. So this book, because readers are not going to know most of these people or probably any of these people, what were the challenges for you as an author to making them accessible to people, you know, to, to your readers? to making readers interested in stories of people who were not major figures in any way. Well, I think all you have to do is bring them on stage and, in effect, let them tell you their story, and you will be hooked right away. Right. Because you will realize that these just aren't celebrities from the past. These are people who are living life as best they know how, trying to take care of their children and their loved ones and and maybe make a difference, maybe make the community or their family's opportunities better because of what they do. I think that the ways in which they were brought up are immensely important. And one of my favorites of all is the account left by one of the daughters of Joseph Barker, who tells us a 
about their their mother Elizabeth, and it's the kind of thing that I wish we knew more in more detail. But I think this one episode, this one description, makes us realize that these are all values; these are all rules of the good life, of good behavior that cannot be overemphasized, particularly today. She said they were raised to be useful. To be, this is a quote: to be useful, to be pleasant with our playmates, respectful to superiors, just to all, black or white, good to the poor, not showing pride or selfishness, but kindness and goodwill, and to see to it that we look to our own more than to the faults of others, our own faults. And this, if you want to look it up in the book, is on page 130. And then she would also, much of her life, her mother, liked to quote words to the wise that were most frequently repeated by her mother, and they could have served for the motto of most of the community, count the day lost at which the setting sun sees at its close no worthy action done. And I don't know about you, but in many ways, I was raised on those same principles, that you try to make your surroundings or your community or your family or your world a little better each day in some way, even if it's small and unnoticed. And that's a good outlook on life. It's very much like the way the Wright brothers were raised. Uh The father of the Wright brothers is is preaching, in effect, that same attitude. I think of the Wright brothers, that house that they grew up in. Have you ever been to it? I still have not been there, no. Well, it's at the Ford Museum, as you probably know, in in Michigan. Right. It's very small, and it had no heating system, no running water, no indoor plumbing, no telephone, but it was chock-a-block with books, uh-huh. and good books, whole sets of Mark Twain or other great writers. And he brought them up to have purpose, a worthy purpose in life. And that's absolutely the same theme as we find with these pioneers at Marietta. Right. You feel like because you're, you're writing so much from their point of view that some people might get the, the feeling that you're ignoring the, the people who are here already, the Native people who are here. Well, I encounter, I record, write about every single encounter that my principal characters had with the Native Americans. And I think it's it's adequate, I hope, to point out that because Rufus Putnam, the main leader of this whole project, insisted that the Native Americans be treated with fairness and good faith, that when the terrible Indian Native American wars began, Marietta was never uh, subject to attack. Uh-huh. Never. And one of my favorite scenes in the whole book is when Manessa Cutler, during his visit to Marietta, came all the way west to see what how it was going, sits down with the great Indian chief, corn planter, and they have a wonderful chat uh, talking about the origins of the mound, the great mound at, at Marietta. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them quite sure of who those people were way back 1000 B.C. or whatever it was. And then in 1830s, I guess it was, Samuel Hildreth gave a speech at a medical convention in Cleveland in which he, in effect, delivered a, a hymn to, in memory of the, of the Native Americans and the wilderness that had vanished. They didn't like the way it was going, and they themselves write, and one of them in particular talks about atrocities of the white people, of white men, that were every bit as outrageous, unacceptable as any atrocities committed by the Native Americans. Uh-huh. I think we, we have no idea of the level of fear these people lived with. Uh-huh. Fear of, of wolves and bears and rattlesnakes. Fear of epidemic disease, earthquakes, 
starvation. There was one year where they all nearly starved to death. Uh -huh. So you stayed in Marietta while you were researching the book. How does the city strike you now? And did you get a feel for all the layers of history when you were there? Oh, I love Marietta. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the presence still of the old congregational church, of the Mound Cemetery, of the campus at Marietta College. It's one of the most beautiful campuses I know. I love staying at the wonderful Laf old Lafayette Hotel right there oh, on right the, river, the river. yeah. Right where the pioneers first landed. And I love the river. I love getting up early in the morning in Marietta, going out and seeing the, the mist on the river and the sun coming up in the distance and the birds. I grew up on the Ohio River. I grew up in Pittsburgh where it oh, all begins. Oh, okay, right. And so it's in, it's in my bloodstream, too. Right. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, Oh, I enjoyed talking with you, and uh, keep up your good work. <laughs> you too. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614.